welcome everybody to episode number 53 of the Modern Day Sniper podcast. And if you are a first time listener, what the Modern Day Sniper podcast is all about is a podcast that is dedicated to the professional sniper, whether you're a military or law enforcement officer, a civilian, which we would call as a, an enthusiast, then we would have our hunters and our competitors. And whether you fit one of those four archetypes or fit multiple um, uh, multiple archetypes, you're one of us. You're you're somebody that's a discerning shooter looking for relevant information in the space, and you are on the journey of becoming the best rifleman that you can. And just like the three of us here, you're students of the craft. So this podcast is all about people talking about what they're super passionate about. And uh, welcome if this is uh, a returning listener. So thanks for being here, guys. And we've got a super rad guest on today, uh, Mr. Owen Mulder. Um, Owen, if you guys remember, if you were part of the um, the summit that we did last year, uh, Owen was a guest on the summit talking about external ballistics. He has a background in physics. Um, and he's actually here with us today to talk about something other than that. But if the conversation flows that way, then let it flow that way, I guess. Um, but uh, I also have Philip Vallejo here, and um, I am Kalen, you're, uh, one of your hosts. So with that being said, um, let's go ahead and get started, man. Owen, how's it going? It's really, really That's, good yeah. to have you on. Yeah, it's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, I guess, you know, I have, I have shifted uh, a little bit, uh, so... For those that may not be familiar with me, uh, I worked with Kalen for a while back uh, at sniper school. We were instructors together. Uh, I spent 16 years in the Marine Corps. Uh, I retired in 2015. Uh, while I was in the Marine Corps, I started off in a sniper platoon uh, in 7th Marines. Then I went to sniper school uh, where I took over for Kalen as a marksmanship instructor. And I left there and went to First Force Reconnaissance, which turned into MARSOC while I was there. Uh, First Raider Battalion now, as it's known. Uh, deployed to Afghanistan with them. Came back and was sent to Special Operations Training Group, which has been renamed now. Uh, and I taught the Urban Sniper Course and the Advanced uh, Urban and Reconnaissance and Surveillance Course out there. And then I retired out of uh, an office working uh, a headquarters Marine Corps uh, out by Washington, D.C., Quantico, Virginia. And after that, I got out and decided I was going to start a degree in general physics with the intention of uh, getting into external ballistics. I didn't really know what I was going to do with the degree other than I wanted to know more about external ballistics. That was kind of my passion. It's the thing I picked when I was a sniper and sniper instructor as, as kind of my obsession. Uh, and kind of halfway through that degree, I took a job as a contractor that taught the combat hunter program for the United States Marine Corps. Uh, and, the, and the program focuses on uh, tactical tracking, man tracking. Uh, it focuses on observation and it focused on nonverbal behavioral profiling. So reading people's body language, basically, in a, in a threat sense. And the Marine Corps recently, this last year, decided to shut the program down. It's reshuffling everything. It's, it's kind of re reinventing itself, from, you know, great power threats and so on. So they shut the program down. And 
I decided based on some of the experts I had been interacting with at Combat Hunter, I had gained this sort of new passion for cognitive psychology, perceptual psychology. I really dug into, because it's all related when it comes to nonverbal behaviors and observation, uh, it's all related. And I really dug into that. I was doing that for about four years. And so when I, when that contract came to an end, I decided that I was going to shift my education to psychology. So I'm wrapping up, uh, my, uh, bachelor's in psychology right now and, and orienting myself towards, uh, a graduate program in either clinical psychology or cognitive psychology. It's kind of the, the course I'm on now besides doing, uh, long range precision training with, with folks, uh, here and there. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at in life right now. Right on. Speaking yeah. of that, do you want to come to Virginia in, in November and hang out with us? Oh, absolutely. Virginia. What are you doing? We're going to be teaching two classes in Virginia at this place called pig river precision. Ooh, that sounds fun. Dude, it's a good time. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. It's a great range and uh, the, the community out there is pretty badass. And you're doing it in December, you said? Uh, uh, November. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm free in November. We'd love to have you, man. It would be a blast. It would be like, okay. that would be cool. So I got a, uh, a question for you guys. Uh, both I'm talking to two sniper instructors here. When you were at sniper school, out of all the various things taught there, what was your take on the community's opinion of observation? Very, uh, very oh. egoic, egoic based in the sense that um, the only thing that you really focused on as a, as a sniper instructor, as a sniper yourself is busting pigs, right? Yeah. Like yeah. nobody does no, like no snipers are going to go out and be like, yo man, let's set up an observation and like, and yeah. do an observation. You know, nobody is going to do that, but people will, you know, rock, paper, scissors for spots on the, on the stock truck or on the OP to, to bust pigs and put that little feather in your cap. So I think that from, from like a, an observation standpoint, I don't think we focused enough on it Yeah, because our, our training target sites were pretty lame. You know, it was just like, we didn't really have much to look at. I feel like the the depth of observation was wasn't like a rabbit hole that you could go down like external ballistics, right? Because it's like, I guess, not fun or not sexy. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of what I remember teaching for observation was just a regurgitation, right? Like, what are the what are the target indicators there? Uh, you know, movement. You know, contrast background, um, without any actual depth to uh, that in terms of like teaching it to students. Um, versus like with marksmanship, right? Because it was, I guess, you know, it's, it's something fun to do. And um, like, depending on the instructor, they could easily attach themselves to wanting to uh, have a deeper understanding for, for, for observation. I felt like the instructor that got tasked with field skills, he wasn't a, 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 dirt, a turd bag, but it was just like, he's just like, I, I feel like he didn't put as much emphasis unless it was like camouflage 
uh, into you know his craft versus like a marksmanship instructor. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, yes. well, I, I, I was I was the same same way. I, I think back to when I was a student, observation training because we have this saying in the sniper community. And it's the same in the recon community is uh, we're trained observers. Right, you're a trained observer, and I always heard that when I was young in the community, and I kind of uh, internally. I laughed at it. I'm like, what, do you, what does that even mean? Like, what do you mean I'm trained at observing? And that amounted to, in my experience, doing observation exercises. And those exercises, they would take miniatures. You know, they would take little army men or, or small threat weapons or whatever, and they'd place them out in the grass and they would hide them. And then they would set all this, you know, me and my fellow students down and they would give us a time limit to look through our optics and try to find, we'd create a field sketch of what we're looking at and then we would plot out what we thought, think we saw. And that, uh, and that constituted our observation training as far as official observation training when you're trying to isolate the skill. Yep. And I never really understood, I, of course I wasn't gonna say anything because I was a dirty pig, right? <laughs> I was just, so, but uh, in my mind I was saying, is this really making me better at observing? is because I'm not seeing it. And as I grew into the instructor position, uh, I, I did notice in Iraq, for example, that snipers were able to see threats that other people couldn't see. So I saw that there was a definite effect in combat, but I couldn't really tie the two together. I couldn't, I couldn't, determine why, why are we better at seeing, is it just because we have optics? Is there, were these little exercises we were doing actually having this effect that I just couldn't detect mm -hmm. this whole time? Mm -hmm. And it just planted the seed in my head, but I didn't notice there was a difference in most snipers being able to detect and notice certain aspects of um, the situation on the battlefield that a lot of the people around us weren't seeing. Yeah. And it was a big question mark in my mind. Then I went to go work at sniper school. And like you said, Kalen, um, I didn't even consider observing on a stock lane as an instructor training and observation. It was just my job. Right. The students are the ones getting trained there. They're, they're training in stalking and camouflage and concealment. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just my job to make it challenging, right? And yeah. uh, so I never thought I was training, but I left sniper school and ended up at RSOC and we went to Afghanistan and we ended up in the Helmand province. And at the time we were there, no one had been there in this particular area for about two years. And so the Taliban owned it. It was along the Helmand river. That's where they grow all their opium and, and those sorts of things. And we drove in there uh, with our small convoy of five vehicles and immediately we started getting mortared. We couldn't, we couldn't, in fact, for the next month, we couldn't get within a mile of any little village in that Helmand province without getting a barrage of accurate mortars. I mean, these were trained mortarmen, probably trained by, you know, us <laughs> when they were fighting the Russians or back in the seventies <laughs> yeah, or whatever. But, uh, it, it, it really put it stopped us in our tracks. And I'm, I'm surrounded by uh, operators, special operators, MARSOC. And we had this SOP 
for if you receive mortar fire, and this is pretty standard, I'd imagine, for most units, that if you're receiving mortar fire, you get off the X. You move, you get out of the area you're in because they're going to be adjusting their fires onto you. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you move in erratic directions because you're trying to make it hard for the observer that's correcting the rounds to adjust onto you. And so I was in the turret behind 50 cal in my vehicle. And our job was to try to locate the position of the Ford observer and to kill or suppress them uh, as best we could. So immediately when we would receive this mortar fire, I would start looking around and all the other turret gunners would look around and we're like, okay, we're looking for a Ford observer so we can uh, basically shut them down. Couldn't find them. This went on every mission over and over and over again for a month. Uh, and then one day, and, I, and by the way, I, I was one of you know, a few of us in the turret of our vehicles were snipers. And so we brought with us our spotting scopes and, and some other sniper equipment that was just kind of habit for us to have with us. And so every time I'd be looking for these Ford observers, I would break out my loophole 40 power. And everyone else, you know, they're, they're, they've got their, you know, their 10 power binoculars or what have you, but I'm breaking out the 40 power because we could see forever. I mean, we're in the desert. And we got, we were getting mortared one time and we could, uh, tune in to the, uh, the communications that the Taliban had. We were just basically listening. We'd buy one of the radios they had and just tune into it. You could listen to what they were saying. And we could hear their Ford observers talking to their gun crew, making adjustments the same way we do. And I heard them identify my vehicle as a target. So immediately I'm on, you know, my hair's on end. Mm -hmm. like, All right, here we go. And I tell the driver and he takes off. So, you know, we're trying to make things difficult for him. And we get to a new spot where we have a little bit of defilade and we, we stop and I'm looking out and I can see probably a good couple miles out into this open desert. And just to give you a visual of it, it's these, it's kind of a sandy rolling, small rolling hills. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's thousands of these little black spots in it where you have rocks small rocks that are casting shadows on the ground so mm -hmm. it's, but visually it looks like just a bunch of little black dots in an ocean of sandy sort of small hills and we were in a position where i had figured out that there's only a couple angles that someone would be able to see me or our vehicle and i knew i could see where that was and i could observe there so i, I pulled up my 40 power spotting scope and i'm scanning and i hear the Ford Observer call over the radio. Uh, I, hear, I hear the gun call that they've shot one of the rounds at us. And then as I, I was a pure accident, at least a mile away, probably about 1800 meters away, out of all these little thousand black dots that I'm looking at, on the very horizon, I see another little black dot pop up. And then I hear the observer call the correction for the round and that little black dot disappears. And that bold black dot is smaller than one of the mill dots in my scope. It was, a, it was like the size less than, is smaller than a, the period on the page of a book. And there was a thousand others of them. Mm -hmm. And it, my brain was a, a, a little bit in denial at that point, but it, I, I started to was that what I think it was? Was that the Ford Observer? And so I get a range to it and it was 
if I, my memory serves, they're somewhere around 16 to 1800 meters, somewhere in that range. So I adjust the TNE on my 50 cal and I aim in at that where that little black, black dot popped up and the round impacts and it was a little ways off and I hear them make the correction and now I'm aiming in at it and sure enough, they go to fire another mortar round at us and that round and that little black dot pops up again. And this time I shoot about five to 10 rounds of armor piercing incinerary 50 cal at it, right? And as listening to them on their radios, as the observer was trying to call in a correction after the round had impacted and I had shot, I can hear him freaking out because my bullets, my 50 cal rounds are impacting around him. <laughs> and a light bulb went off on my head. And so I shared that, I, I simply called over the radio to all the other turret gunners and said, hey, what you're looking for is a little black dot that pops up a thousand plus away from us and it'll pop up right when they want to adjust and observe the impact. From that point on for the rest of the deployment, we were shutting down their mortars, which because every time that they would, the Ford observer would pop up, they were either getting shot in the face or suppressed. Uh, and that, and that uh, really impacted me. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, it bothered me that how many times in the last month had I been looking right at a Ford observer and not recognized it? And if I, if I were to tell you or anyone else, imagine a Ford observer in your mind, visually, like you're picturing, if I say, tell me if I'm an alien from another planet and I'm trying to understand what this thing is, a Ford observer, and I want you to describe it to me, what, how are you going to describe it? Yeah. I would describe just the equipment that he probably has, which is a radio and binoculars <laughs> and maybe a map. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I did. You're going to, you're picturing a, a person. So you're visualizing a human being and you're picturing them with binoculars or a cell phone or a radio or something. And, uh, but you're close in your mind, you can see detail. You maybe you maybe see facial features and, you know, all these sorts of things. Well, that's exactly what I was doing. And it turns out that when you're doing that, you're doing what's called priming. You're priming your brain. And what's going to happen is the second you've fired up this image in your mind, there's a particular set of neurons that are associated with that image and your brain starts scanning the visual stimulus for that. And if it doesn't match, it doesn't care. So what was happening is, is in my mind, even though I didn't really quite realize it, I was looking for something I was never going to see. Uh, and of course, now that once it happened to me and I stepped back, I said to myself, like, well, of course, a Ford observer is going to be a mile away. I mean, who's going to call for fire 100 meters away from their target? No one. Uh, so I, and I should have realized, like, well, what does a human being look like when they're a mile away? They look like a little black dot, especially when it's just their, their head sticking up over a hill. You know what I mean? And... Uh, so I, I happened upon that situation in Afghanistan and it was that one little detail, that one little correction that we made in our ability to observe, shut down the enemy's entire uh, kind of center of gravity, like their, 
their their main asset to try to ward us off. Yeah, the main the main standoff weapon. Yeah, and once we once we mitigated that, man, we were in their space for the rest of that deployment. They had to yep. shift everything they were doing. Yep, and they couldn't uh, go toe to toe with you. Yep, and and uh, at the same time, I'm also noticing me and because we had we had I think 13 snipers in that platoon at the time. A lot of them uh, former instructors. Massive and, exodus. Jesus, yeah. 13. No, that, like literally every single senior sniper from 1st Marine Regiment, pretty much 1st Marine Division. That's pretty gangster. Level. That must have been a pretty just gangster stacked ass unit. <laughs> oh, just... that, that, uh, it, it was, it was the, the craziest it's like, tune I've ever been a part of. It's like debt one days, you know? Dude, like, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so we were Alpha Company, 1st uh, Raider Battalion, and we were the first deploying uh west coast marsoc unit and and uh we did we, we were stacked with a lot of experienced guys a lot of snipers sniper instructors and uh you know aaron brandfast josh hamblin you know uh, I, I list could go on but uh but i what we started noticing is that the snipers were again they just were really good at observing uh, enemy positions. And in particular, this environment was tricky because the enemy positions were often very far away. Mm -hmm. Unlike the urban environments that people found themselves in Iraq where things were a lot more visually confusing with kind of this urban sprawl and windows, you know, a thousand windows, thousand doors, rooftops and alleyways and everything. This was uh, a lot more open, but really far away. So, so no one had any experience, no one had any experience in that sort of environment. Everyone was an Iraq vet. And, and I think that opened my, because again, I noticed that snipers just were, had this ability to teach themselves on the fly uh, and it would adapt observation wise to their environment. And that so stuck with me. I, I, I would love to, I'm, this is really good, man, because I want to make sure that I get this right. So basically what you're saying, priming the brain is, um, you're, you're programming, you're programming neurons, as you put it, you're programming neurons yeah. to, to specifically look for the expectation that your mind has created within itself based upon the description that you receive through either, um, you know, audible stimulus, um, or, you know, a drawing or something like that. Your brain automatically yeah. says, this is what I should be looking for. So therefore, you're going to search for those things. And this is, I mean, this is so directly related to, um, to what I experienced when I first came out West after, um, after I got out and I started hunting mm -hmm. out West. I, I grew up, you know, I grew up where we were lucky to, to see, be able to see like 50 yards and I come out here to the West and it's like, Oh, so wait a minute. We're, we're going to work. You mean like we're going to ruck to the top of this, giant fuck off hill and then we're going to sit there all day and use binos and search for animals oh okay i i can do yeah. that like it's yeah. like that's what i did but i had to learn what to look for and it took a lot of experience i had to learn um 
I had to like, I had to, I was priming my brain, right? So I had this vision of, of what I thought a mule deer should look like on the side of this fucking hill, right? So when I have that vision in my brain, that's what I'm looking for until you start to see animals. And when you start to see animals and you start to see like a quarter of a hind, you know, a quarter of an ass, you know, coming out of some green and you got some contrast and you've got some, um, you got some color variation there. Then you pick that up and you're like, then your brain says, Oh, that's the ass of a mule deer. Yeah. That's what I need to be looking for that vision. And then all of a sudden, once a few of those instances happen, things just start popping everywhere. You're just like, Oh, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. And that's actually happened to me in multiple environments. Like, um, going from here on the West, looking into timber and stuff, and then going down to El Paso, Texas, Marfa, Texas, looking for Audad, Barbary sheep in this, you know, these giant, really dark brown, rocky bluffs and cactus and just a totally different environment. And those sheep blend in like just amazing. Yeah. It's all, all, uh, situation specific on the visual stimulus details. And what I think was, so there's two things going on. Uh, one is the motivation and goal that you place in your mind. We're as human beings and animals in general, we operate based on goals. Everything you're doing, you're always establishing goals and that's what directs your mental processes. So in this case, you're saying, I, I want to shoot a mule deer. Or for me, it was, I want to locate a Ford observer. Yep. So right now I've established a goal in my mind. That's like typing in your search into a search bar of a search engine on the internet. You're, you're right. telling your brain search for this. The second aspect of that is your long-term memory. Because the second you establish a goal in your mind, your brain is going to prime itself. It's going to start thinking about that particular goal and visualizing it and all the things that go along with it. And that's going to fire up neurons in your brain, a particular set of neurons associated with that thing. And so those neurons are hot. They're, they're, yes, they're ready to go. They're more easily activated or action potential as they would call it. And so now what's, the, what's happening is as you're observing or scanning your environment, we're going to, I'm going to isolate on visual uh, perception at this point for now. Uh, but you've got this massive amount of visual data coming in way more than your conscious awareness can handle. Mm-hmm. So essentially what it's like, it's like standing in a big dark warehouse where it's pitch black and you've got a flashlight in your hand. And so you're, you know, cause most of your mental processes, well over 99% of the processing in your brain is subconscious. You're not aware of it. Your attention, what we, what we call our consciousness or conscious awareness is really our attention. It's the same thing. And your attention is like that beam on your flashlight. It's searching around for this thing that it is in line with the goal that you've created. And so if you, if, if you, if the only long-term memory you have is of seeing mule deer up close or pictures of them or what have you, then that's what's going to be brought up into mind. And if that doesn't match the stimulus coming in, your brain will scan right over it. Uh, and, and, and it, when it comes to like your example, you were, you were in a situation where, uh, not only had you not experienced from what it sounded like a mule deer at that distance, mm-hmm. but also the visual landscape was new, was relatively new to you. 
So what's happening is all this new stimulus, the new colors and, and textures, your brain is paying attention to all of that because it's all new, it's different, it has no memory of it. So it has a hard time just filtering it out. It has to recognize what's going on there first before it can filter it out. As you gain more experience, even this is the importance of just becoming familiar with the baseline internet. Even if you're not seeing a mule deer, just visually observing the landscape creates visual memory of that landscape and what's what. So when it comes time to search for a particular anomaly like a mule deer, the brain can more quickly filter out and discard what's normal, right? what's baseline. It's called adaptation. So the, the brain will literally uh, skip over it. It will, it will not be in your conscious awareness because it's seen all this before. The brain knows what it is. It's not what I'm looking for. And, you, and your brain won't even consciously acknowledge it, which leaves uh, some of your processing power, the limited power you have for your attention, you're freeing up some more of your attention to focus on looking for that anomaly, which is the mule deer. And every visual thing, every object has, and this is one thing that's uh, sniper school back when I was working there and went through it, did very well was features, various features, what they call visual indicators, the shape, the outline, the texture, the color, the contrast, the movement, these are all different aspects of any object. And uh, some of these things are, are processed in different parts of the brain. Out, outline and, and color are two different parts of your visual uh, pathways. And so those things get processed separately. And then later on in the visual pathway, they get integrated together. And all these different features are, are brought together and then the brain can process it and look for you know this is what that thing is it interprets what it's seeing so you that's, have to be familiar uh, with the features of it that's that's uh that's actually pretty remarkable that you just said that because my my recent and just thinking just about recent um my you know observation where my brain was challenged uh was the enteral hunter that we just shot in, in colorado and there was a couple times where targets were just so um they blended in so well with their background. The only thing that I was able to pick up was an outline. Yeah. Right. And then, and then once the color, like it was like, it was an outline first and then the color and then my brain process like, Oh, that's a, that's a target. You know, yeah. it was never, it was never both of them at the same time. So that's, that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty cool. But you, but, but you had to, you had to have a very good long-term memory of that thing. And because the, the more features that you can identify on a particular object, the easier it is for your brain to identify it. Right, so we had the nine visual indicators. So there, there's, there's dozens of them in, in the scientific literature. Uh, but, uh, but the nine that are used in the Marine Corps are, are very good ones. There's some of the top nine. There's discussion in the literature over which features count most and that sort of thing. But the more features that your brain can identify, obviously, the easier it is for your brain to interpret what that object is. As you, as, as those features begin to blend in, and this is, goes into camouflage and concealment as well, the more of those features you can uh, either break away from what's normal for that object, what's standard, or blend it into the background, obviously the harder it is to see that thing. That's what you know, the ghillie suit is doing. It's breaking up the outline. It's, it's taking 
what, what someone's long-term memory of a person looks like, which is outline, color, contrast, texture, all these things, movements, and it's breaking those things up. This is, you're changing the color you have, you're changing the outline, you're changing all these, you're taking away features. Um, but as we all know, after being instructors, that only works if someone doesn't have a, a yep. long-term memory of what you're doing. I can identify, I can probably identify a ghillie suit faster than a person after working at sniper school. Yeah, especially yeah. if it's not vegged. Yeah. Same thing happens with military camouflage. Our, sure. our camouflage works great as long as our opponents don't have a long-term memory of that camouflage. Mm -hmm. The second they have been around it a little while and seen it enough, it no longer has quite the effectiveness that it used to. And so that's, you know, observation, a, a deeper level of observational understanding and the psychology that goes into it not only helps you better at observing, it also helps you better at camouflaging and concealing yourself. Yes. Because all you're doing is reverse engineering observation when you're concealing and camouflaging yourself. Mm -hmm. This stuff is fascinating. It, 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 it is because it's it's deeper than just you know break up your outline and 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 stuff like that, right? That you're like again typical regurgitation of what I remember telling students on a stock lane. And yeah. I think it's like it's also evolution, right? So <clears throat> you know it's an evolution of of uh, knowledge, right? And so it takes somebody like Owen somebody like you to go, Hey man, there's way more to this, right? There's way more to this <clears throat> than meets the eye. And there's actually science that supports it. So let's take a deeper look into this and see what we can, uh, that we can turn into actionable, um, points of knowledge that we can then pass on to our other warfighters. And that's how we build tactics, right? That's how we build, um, new curriculum. That's how we build new standards by constantly looking at things from um, an outside view and saying, hey man, what literally can I bring from there into here? And from what I understand, that's pretty much what the Combat Hunter program was all about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so one of the, so I, I, when I first arrived at Combat Hunter, they had taken the observation curriculum from sniper school and just plugged it into Combat Hunter. Because uh, at, at the time, literally pretty much the only people even addressing observation was the sniper community mm -hmm. uh, with any seriousness anyway. And, and, and because if you ask the average person, just like I thought when I was, you know, a young Marine, like, why do I, is this really working? Is this training working? Because we all have this, we walk around in our everyday life, all human beings with this assumption that we're observing everything that's relevant to us, that we're aware of our surroundings. There's this illusion of awareness that everyone has and, and you have to break someone of that first. You have to expose the fraudulence behind their confidence in observation before they'll even give an ear to sitting in a class or going and doing a training exercise to get better at it yep. because they have to be convinced. And that's natural for all human beings. It was natural for me. I remember, I remember it very well, thinking that the observation training was pointless, that it wasn't working. Uh, and now it could have been better uh, but it wasn't a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And, and when I got to combat hunter, I'd already had this newfound realization that I had told you guys about that there's something more to this. And I want to know, I want to know what it is. Maybe I've been focused too much on external ballistics and I need to refocus on, on this neglected area. And so I did that. And, 
uh, fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. In fact, I would say we're not as much training observation as we are attention management. Mm. Uh, what we really need to focus on is attention management because as it turns out, and tell me if you guys had this experience too, the first time you went into a combat environment where now everything is on the line, this isn't training anymore, uh, mistakes lead to death now. Mm -hmm. That you know, when you're driving through a city or patrolling through a city, there's people all around, there's buildings, windows everywhere, and you're overwhelmed. You feel like no matter how vigilant I am, there's, I can only observe so much. The second I look at this building, someone could pop out that building down the street and I wouldn't see that. So I looked down, down the street and now the building next to me is uncovered. Like yep. it's this constant game of, of feeling like you're not observing enough and that at any point what you're not looking at is where the threat's going to come up. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel inadequate. Like, well, am I just not as good as I thought I was at observing? Well, it turns out that there's just limits. Like I said, your, your attention, which is the conscious part of your thinking, your, your brain is literally selecting. That's the language they use in the literature is selecting from the stimulus. And there's a limit to it. There's a biochemical limit to how much you can grab and select from your stimulus. And no matter how much you train, there, you can't make that bigger. In fact, there's been computational neuroscientists that have given, you know, they've tried to equate numbers to this with computer sort of language. And I'd say that the average human brain, if they, you know, some people calculate to be that the brain calculates about, processes about 8 billion bytes of information every second, 8 billion, which is a big number, right? Uh, now, if, if out of that proportion, if, if 8 billion is the equivalent in bytes that your brain is processing, how much of that do you think is your conscious awareness, your attention? I used to ask this to students all the time at Combat Hunter, and you'd get the typical, like 10%, they, they, they get this 10% number. You know, you, well, it turns out it's, it's, it's like 0. 0.00000004 of a percent. It's like two, two to, two to 3,000 bytes worth of that processing is what you're consciously aware of. It's tiny. It's this tiny number. That's scary. That's terrifying. Right. Cause your and, brain is basically saying you're, you're, you're relying on your brain then at that point in time to select what it is to draw attention to yeah. right, in the, in the whole OODA loop. Right. Yes. So. And now there's, there's two ways to, cause now your attention is normally guided in ways that you aren't even aware of. So there's, there's sort of natural, there are some natural processes, reflexes and instincts that um, will draw your attention. Anything that is a huge anomaly, like uh, a, a drastic change in a stimulus, like a loud sound, something that moves suddenly, mm -hmm. those are sort of instinctual, reflexive, attention-getting stimulus. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, it's reliant on the goals you're setting, the priming that we talked about, and the long-term memories that you have. And, and it's using that to make sense of the stimulus. And if you think uh, attention, I, I, the best analogies I've ever heard on it are that analogy of you being in a warehouse with a flashlight. And you know, on a flashlight, you can normally adjust the, the lens and either 
to a flood where it's a, a larger but dimmer area that you're lighting up with your flashlight, or you can focus it into a small beam where it's really bright. Your attention works the same way. I can relax my vision and sort of consciously take in my peripheral vision and my foveal vision, the center sort of few degrees of your vision, that's high detail. You can sort of relax your vision and take all of that in, but you're, it's very general. So if I were to look at a group of people and I were to relax my vision and sort of zoom out that beam of my flashlight, uh, I'm going to see human figures. I might make out some facial features, height, you know, color of clothing and skin and that sort of thing. But I'm not, uh, I'm not going to see a facial expression or read the words on someone's shirt or that sort of thing. Now, I can also dial in uh, my attention and focus all of it just on one person. And now I'm getting the color of their eye, their facial expression, every, you know, whether or not they have hair on their forearms, like I can get all that detail. But that comes at the cost of everything around that person. My brain is now tuning that out for the sake of gathering more detail on this one narrow area. And so observation is all about knowing when to zoom out and when to zoom in. Oh my God. Perfect. Like that. I'm glad you ended off with that. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, kind of tying into marksmanship behind a rifle scope, right? When, when you zoom in to, to max magnification, you are literally leaving out every detail in situational, like you lose situational awareness because you're so focused in on trying to yeah. capture every detail of not only that target, but that reticle. Yeah. And you can, in fact, even if you're, even if you have a lower magnification, uh, you can still do the same thing with your brain Yeah, and where you're, you're just, you're dialed into such a small area. Like when you're focused on your shot, you're looking at the reticle and, and everything else. You're super focused on that. You're giving up everything in your peripheral. And that's freaking um, awesome. But you've got to do that sometimes. But the yeah. question is you can't, you can't spend all of your time. And I see a lot of people make this mistake is they'll get super focused uh, on their observation. They'll be, be focusing on this little tiny area with all their mental faculties. And that's it. They stay that way. And they miss so much. Well, uh, you tell me this on a stock lane. If you didn't have something you were already, already identifying, tell me what you did. I guarantee I tell, I tell you what you did. You relaxed your vision and you just kind of uh, let your peripheral vision come in and you waited to see something move. Yep. That's, that's, that's it, man. And then as soon as you saw it move, boom, I zoom in, I, I dial it. it in and you got, got it. it. Yep. Same it's like, exact thing happens. In, it's like in teaching, nature. it's like teaching students how to observe trace. The, the easiest way that I have found out of all these freaking years to try to get somebody to, to learn how to, or at least just see trace. Cause all it takes is one time, yeah. right? Yep. It takes one time. And all I tell students is man, take your spotting scope, Focus it on the target and completely relax. Relax your eyes. Stare at it. Just stare at nothing. Don't look at the target. Don't look at anything. Let your eye see that movement. And then as soon as it sees it, it'll zip fucking dial in and follow it right into the target. And people are just like, whoa, that's legit. Because that's the way it works. And it's such a, well, it's a cool, that's a perfect example of just everything I'm talking about is, uh, first of all, movement is something that your peripheral vision is the best at picking up. Uh, out of all the various features, you know, your peripheral vision has very low resolution, but it is a master of picking up movement. 
absolutely phenomenal at it, which is why if you're looking for a target, a living thing, a biological thing that moves, and you, and you don't have any idea where to focus your attention yet, it's just somewhere out there or potentially somewhere out there, the best thing to do is relax your vision, take in your peripheral vision and wait for movement. And the second you pick up movement, then you focus in. And, mm -hmm. and you're doing that when you look for that. The crazy thing is, is those, those students that uh, didn't see that vapor trail for however many shots before that, that vapor trail stimulus was making it into their eye, into their brain. The only difference between them seeing it and not seeing it was internally in their head. Right. Uh, and, and like you said, they pick up movement, boom, they've now created a long-term memory of that phenomenon and now they see it every time and now they and now when they uh they go to set the goal in their mind they prime themselves their brain has something to latch onto and says this is what you're looking for mm -hmm. and like you said it, it, sometimes it only takes one time and then they see it every time yep that's the that's the power of it yeah i think it's it, it's it's also again like you said man it's all about um it's all about awareness. It's all, it's about being aware and truly focusing on being aware um, and understanding that uh, you got to tap into, you have to allow the subconscious to do the work because it's doing the majority of the work anyways. Yeah. The vast majority of the work. Yeah. It's put, it's putting the whole puzzle together for you. You just got to decide where to look at it. And, you you know, know, and, and would it be safe to say that like you have to tell it what to look for? Yep. Yeah. 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 Like I said, there, there's, there's going to be, that's the goal setting part of it. You know, like when you say, I'm, I'm going to look for vapor trail or I'm going to look for a mule deer or I'm going to look for a Ford observer or, you know, tracking, for example, you know, I'm going to look for, what am I looking for when I'm tracking? Right. Uh, whole another subject. I won't even get into tracking, but, uh, but this is just really, that's everything. The, you're, you're, you, and you can't stop the process. You can't not, you can't say, I'm going to establish no goals. I'm going to, I'm going to not prime myself. Well, if you're doing like some meditation in a, you know, in a weightless, you know, sensory deprivation chamber, sure. Uh, you can, you can, and that's probably good for you at some point to, to do those things. But when you're out there working as a sniper or you're out there on the trail and you're hunting, uh, whatever, then you can't do that. Your brain is, your brain is going to prime itself for something. Mm -hmm. It's going to be establishing goals. The question is, is do you know that this process is happening and are you taking control of it? Yeah. Or are you letting, are you letting it just kind of the chips fall where they may sort of approach mm -hmm. because you don't know. Right. And, and I think a lot of people just don't know. Agreed. Because this is again, like we, we talked about earlier, it's not something that, um, was really focused on in terms of training, right? It's like a standard, right. oh, you have to do, <clears throat> pardon me, you have to do 10 observations, 10 graded observations, 70% average, and then you pass, right? So, and that, and that was totally subjective to which, uh, which one of the staff members set the observation up, right? Yeah. So, um, and it also depended, like your stock score largely depended on who was on the glass. You know, yeah. if there was, if there was somebody on the glass that was wicked good, you're fucked. I mean, <laughs> you know, so it's like you have to really, then you also have to switch on. You have to be able to take it to the next level too. And, yep. and that's, that's a good, that's what I think um, a lot of the command staff does not understand uh, the true benefits of, of stalking as an exercise that not necessarily is just training 
um, camouflage and concealment, but it's training everything. It's yeah. literally training everything. You have to be aware of everything you're doing, everything around you. What's my signature? How well can I be seen and heard? All of that. You know, am I, am I touching stuff around me? Yes, exactly. You know, if, I, if I touch this blade of grass, is the top of this grass going to wave around like a big flag? You know, yeah. like people are, it's, again, because that's outside of someone's attention, it's, it's, they don't even aware of it. Exactly. Shake it. Shake it. They're, they're pushing a branch out of the way on a patrol because they don't want to get hit in the face of the branch. What they don't realize is that's shaking 10 feet above them. And it's just a giant flag to everyone in the area that there's someone there. That believe, I mean, honestly, like overhead movement is a huge target indicator for, yeah. uh, for animals too on, on yeah. hillsides. Have you guys, um, uh, I hear, I hear some people to, to just to speak on the hunter side of it. I hear a lot of people that will almost, uh, you know, ascribe supernatural powers to animals and their ability to detect the hunter. Success. I hear, yeah, they, they, they talk about like this. I hear people come back from hunting trips about the big one that got away. Yeah. And, and they'll talk about and one, one particular guy that came to mind. I won't name him, but spent 10 days just tracking this, this, this epic buck that he's going for. In fact, he refused to shoot anything else because he was going for just this one. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me stories about how this thing was Jay hooking on him. And, and, mm-hmm. and this thing was essentially smarter than him. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to him and I'm, I'm like, it's a great story. I mean, it's, and I'm sure that's what he's feeling, but at the same time, we know a, a buck isn't as smart as a person. It can't know these things. And, and what I, what I figured out is this thing's ability to evade him came down to, he, he wasn't aware of, the, the sort of alarm system, an animal, when we, if we take what we're talking about with our brains, animals have the same thing going on, except animals don't, aren't distracted at all by internal thoughts. Yep. They're not contemplating, you know, what they're going to do at the end of the day or how tired they are or, you know, all these other things that are using up our attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very basic. They are constantly just scanning the stimulus for threats and nothing else. Yep. And animals learn through classical conditioning, kind of like Pavlov's dog that salivates when you ring a bell. Mm-hmm. Animals learn the same thing regarding the alarms that other animals give off. Oh yeah. They're- so when so when you're out there and you spook a blue jay or a robin or a chickadee or a squirrel you don't even notice it because your brain's primed for other things. So you, your brain doesn't even acknowledge the sound of this bird you just scared off. But that deer that's 200 meters away in the brush, it knows exactly what that means. Yep. And it, and it, it, it reacts to it. And so, and, and, and these threat rings, these alarm rings, there's uh, Cornell university does studies on these, you know, alarm uh, chains for birds and everything. And these can travel miles. Oh, I see what you're saying. One yeah. animal responds to another animal responds uh-huh. to another animal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We, we have these we, we have these critters up here in the high in the alpine. Um they're called uh they're called hoary marmots. And they're big giant, like they look like big blobs of fatness that lay out on, <laughs> on rocks and, and sun themselves. And and they're all they're all in the boulder fields. And if you 
if you approach those things, they're, they're, people call them whistle pigs because they whistle really, really loud. And as soon as one whistles, you'll hear another one at the end of the basin whistle and then you'll hear another one at the other end whistle. And before long, there's like seven of them all whistling each other. And I've done tests with this. I've, I've watched deer. Um, I've watched deer and I've thrown rocks where I know, where I know marmots are to get them to, to whistle and they'll whistle and the deer will look at that thing and immediately stop what it's doing. And it's like super zoned in and the deer will then start its scan. Yeah. Because it knows that something is that, 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 that marmot's pissed off at something over there. Yeah. An early warning system. The, the crazy thing is when they, they study like uh, crows and ravens, for example. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those uh, birds are nuts. The, and there's other, you know, pretty intelligent animals that the alarms they give off, they differentiate between an air threat and a ground threat. I they wouldn't count that with all with a crow. They can, they can communicate um, chickadees, for example. We did a, a little study on chickadees out here. And and they'll do this little like chickadee dee dee dee. Yeah, yeah. Dee 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 dee, chickadee dee dee dee. The number of Ds they put at the end of their sound when they're alarming are different for aerial threats like predator birds versus ground threats. And sometimes even different, uh, we, we figured out a pattern and it's, it's very specific to the region because they, they kind of learn through each other. Um, they would alarm us with a certain number of Ds at the end of their call when we were walking towards them. And then when we would turn and walk away, they would change the number of Ds denoting that we're walking away from them. So they were giving in their communication, they were denoting that it's a ground threat and the direction roughly that it's traveling. Yeah. That's I mean, fascinating how much, stuff. Yeah. And, it, and, and how much of that is happening when you're out there stalking your game and there's these alarms going off all over the place and you're not even aware they're happening. A, a friend of mine had this deer that he was trying to kill, um, Philip right in the blues. Mm -hmm. Um, actually he tried to kill him right off that perch that you, that we sat at. Okay. And, um, he, uh, Luke called him the devil buck and the, the devil buck just refused Ref, simply refused to be killed and he had him dead to rights a half a dozen times um he tried to archery hunt him and he, he tells the story about um he finds this deer and he looks over the edge right there at that cliff we sat at phil he looks over the edge and there's the buck he's bedded down 20 feet below the edge of the cliff all tucked up up, up against the side because that's what big big mule deer do they protect themselves and the wind's coming straight up at him, but Luke was above him, downwind. And uh, Luke tells a story. He said, man, I, I got my bow drawn. I leaned over the edge to look at him just to see if he was still there and backed off and then looked back over the edge and he was gone. That's crazy. In, literally in the span of three seconds, the deer was gone. And he goes, I never saw him again, ever. And if he was real in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe it was just an illusion, man. Um, but no, I mean, it's like, yeah, those, those animals just, they do, they have this weird, they have this ability and it's obvious. It's very, it's, it's what you're, you're describing. It's, they are so in tune with everything that's going on around them and their very survival depends on it. And the animal's only purpose in life is to survive. It doesn't yeah. know anything else. Right. Uh -huh. So you, you can't look at animals 
uh, a lot of times humans, you try to look at animals in the same way, like the same rationale as, as we do. And, and, I, and I, that's clearly the wrong, the wrong approach. You have to look at an animal as it's a creature of habit. Yeah. You have to learn its habits. Yeah, exactly. And, and in fact, that uh, sparked uh, another thing in my mind. Uh, so at night, and, and uh, I don't know how, how much you do any hunting at night, but obviously military snipers operate mm-hmm. mostly at night, it's, mm-hmm. you know, use the cover of darkness. Well, I guess relevant to this topic is the fact that everything you're experiencing is a complete, almost like virtual reality simulation in your brain. Mm. You have no, you have no direct contact with the external world at all. As far as your awareness, everything goes from some sort of stimulus, some sort of, whether it's photons or sound waves, some external thing has to hit one of the uh, systems that you have in, in your body, your eyes, your ears, whatever it is. And then it's called transduced into a neural signal because the brain only speaks neurotransmitter and the brain doesn't speak photon or sound energy or heat or pressure. It speaks only neurotransmitter proteins. And that means that everything that you're seeing and hearing right now is a simulation inside your head, an interpretation of these signals that are hitting the body. And the same neurons in your brain, for example, if you dream about, because I'm sure you often do of like Callan, you dream of Phil's face often. Often, all right? the time. So often. <laughs> the, the same neurons in your brain that are firing in the dream of Phil's face are the exact same neurons simulated when you see him in person. Because it can't differentiate. Nope, it's, the brain doesn't know the difference. Yeah. It's just the same neurons. And that's why dreams feel so real to us, you know? But at night, the brain is starved of information. It's not visual information, especially. It's not getting most of the colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not getting most of the outlines. And so the brain kicks into super interpretation mode. Ah. So the, the brain has to fill in the gaps, what they call perceptual fill. It has to fill in the missing pieces. And when it does this, it can literally fire off neurons just because they're associated with the thing that you think it is instead of what the brain is actually receiving in stimulus. So it's tricking you. It's tricking you. And then this particularly comes into effect when, uh, so at night, well, you know, your night adapted vision. Right, offset your, viewing and all that yeah, shit. Your, your rods and cones are at work. So the center, two to four degrees, your foveal vision, where your good detail is in your vision, is cones. It only sees color. Uh, the photoreceptors are called cones. Those shut down at night. They're not getting enough light to activate them. So that center two to four degrees of your vision is a blank spot at night. Uh, there's, no, there's no signal coming into the brain. Now, your brain interprets that lack of signal as the color black. It'll just see a black spot. And if, you're, if it's dark out, tonight you turn the lights off as the sun goes down you're sitting in your room turn the lights off and just pick something out on the other end of the room and stare at it in complete darkness and you'll see this weird black blob in the center of your vision it almost like grows and moves and you know it's almost like a black cloud starts taking over your vision right 
that's all your brain uh, not getting a signal from cones. And in the absence of a signal, it just imposes the color black. Uh, but you're not even getting the signal for the color black. Your brain just injecting that into it. The problem is, is at night, now your brain normally, if you're rested and you have a good amount of sleep and nutrition and everything else, your brain understands the difference between not getting a signal. And so I'm just going to put this default black color there and know that I can't see that. But when you start getting tired, the brain starts putting other things there. It, it it's, doesn't have the uh, ability to recognize that there's a lack of a signal. And this comes into play with law enforcement, uh, military people. You're operating all night, you're long shifts, multiple days. You're not eating right, you haven't been sleeping, and now you find yourself in a high stress situation. Uh, your sympathetic nervous system is going crazy, adrenaline's dumping, and you've primed yourself, right? So say you're making an entry into a room. Mm. And what, what do you think your brain's thinking? What do you, what's the priming in a brain of a person, law enforcement or military entering into a room with a potential person in there? Weapon. You're thinking of a weapon, a person with a weapon that's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. So you primed your brain with that. You're in a low light situation. Your adrenaline's spiking, which shuts down the prefrontal cortex to a certain degree. And it's not you're operating on instinct and emotion. Now it's low light. Now you have that center part of your vision, which is giving you no signal. What do you think you run the risk of the brain placing in there? A weapon. The very, the very thing you're thinking about. Yeah. Especially when you start seeing partial outline. I can see a person. I can see they're holding something. The brain sees a little bit of something in the hand and it just immediately fires off the thing you're thinking about because those neurons are already firing anyway because you've been thinking about it. Yeah, I thought I saw. Yeah, it's a very, very real. I've like the sniper school when I was going through during hell week, like night three or whatever, we were up all night digging hide sites. Uh, my partner was holding security and I'm digging the hole and not allowed to sleep. Right. And I look over and I'm tired and we, we, you know, when we'd take turns digging when one get tired, they'd, we'd go signal the other guy, he'd jump in, I'd go take security. Well, I'd been digging forever, it seemed like, and I look over, and I'm like, hey, Josh, come take over, man. And he didn't respond. I'm like, hey. And so I get up out of the hole, and I'm looking for him. I'm pissed. And I look over, and I see him sitting there with his back to me on a knee, ignoring me. He's pretending he's not hearing me. Either that or he's asleep because he doesn't want to dig. And so I'm pissed. So I go over, and I go to give him a big old slap on the back really hard to wake him up. And my hand went through thin air. Oh shit. Like complete thin air. There was nothing there. Not even a bush that was kind of like a person. It was nothing like my brain had fab. And I, and dude, when I saw him, I actually saw back then it was a tricolor cami pattern. Yeah. I actually saw cami pattern. I saw his boonie cover. I saw details that were completely fabricated in my mind because I was so tired and it was dark. And I was so, thinking about that. Is that really, is that the start of hallucinations? Yeah. That, that's what that would be considered. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's the brain reacting to not having a signal or not enough information and feeling like it needs to step up its game for assumption and interpretation and just add it in that's the visual crazy. cortex. 
that's super crazy. That's um, th this stuff is this is like absolutely. I have literally like a page of notes here. Yeah. In my notebook, um, this is awesome because this is the stuff that this is the stuff that really would have um, if you could get people hooked, right? We're it's different. We're all grown. We're grown adults now. We've had life experiences enough to tell us that this stuff is important. But when you're young and you're kind of more immature and you're just like, nah, man, this is all good. I passed odds. I'm all set. Yeah. You don't, you don't get it. And uh, I think that this is, this is pure gold, man. I, I love the fact that, that um, you can dig so deep into the science and obviously it's just scratching the surface. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, to me, it's just super fascinating because you know, we talk about being able to, um, with shooting as an example, it's a very visual, it's a very visual, um, experience when it comes to shooting. The only thing that you're doing is you're visually processing information and telling your brain to do something, you know, yeah. with fine motor skill, which would be press the trigger when sight picture is at its best. And the whole time, all you're doing is, is you're reading information of the site picture and saying, okay, when, 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 okay, it's settled right there. Right. And then we press the trigger. We get that stimulus to the trigger finger. We press it. Philip and I talk a lot about like what happens. And this is like some more, some of the things that, that we're focusing on now is the post-shot process where back in the day, we never focused on the post-shot process. We always, we always relied on the fact that, that we were going to have somebody there to tell us what to do if we missed yeah. because I'm too busy running, you know, working a bolt. Now it's the opposite, right? So I want to, I want to stay connected to my rifle so well that I recover from that recoil process so quickly. And I, and I reacquire that second sight picture fast enough that I can literally watch my own bullet fly to the target. Yeah. Right. And watch it splash. And it's, you know, being able to do that and like, and witness the progression of being able to do that and then learn how to teach somebody how to see that stuff. That's the, that's the seat. That's the sauce, man. Right. That's the cool part. Yeah. Because once you tap into that, it's like people look at it and they're like, Oh, that's like you're in the zone, but it's truly a cycle. It's a psychological thing because your brain is, is slowed down enough and you've primed it. Right. Because yeah. you've, now you've got a long-term memory of what you're supposed to look for. And so what we're like, we're searching to replicate those actions and motions. Um, so that way we can get to witness that visual stimulus. Yeah. And this brings up a good uh, topic. So everybody is pretty familiar with the concept of muscle memory. And uh, you know, we, we apply that a lot in marksmanship. Uh, it's just the somatic motions, the physical motions, uh, get to a point where you've done it so much, rehearsed it so much that it no longer requires conscious thought. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately where you're trying to get to with marksmanship, for example, with basic movements. Same thing with, you know, driving a car. The first time you drive a car, you're on edge because you have to think about how much you're turning the wheel, how much you're pressing the gas, where's the turn signal, where's my windshield wiper. I got to look at the mirror. You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're overloaded. Overwhelmed. Yeah, you have to consciously think about every little thing. You gain your, what they call, you know, the, the whole 10,000 hour rule. You know, you gain your 10,000 hours of experience and that becomes procedural memory. It becomes habituation where it, it now drops out of the attention and into that dark area, that, that automatic processing that happens. The same thing happens with your attention. Uh, if 
if you observe the same thing, you, you said that the vapor trail, the first time you observe it, uh, you create a new memory and now it's easier to see it. You see that vapor trail 10,000 times and it achieves what they call the pop-out pop effect, which means without even priming yourself consciously, your brain will automatically select it. So if you, if you gain enough experience in something, you no longer need to consciously prime yourself. It has become that those neurons have become so well used. And every time you fire a neuron, it gets stronger and stronger and easier to activate. There's a little sheet of myelin tissue fat surrounding it that makes it a better conductor. And every time you fire that thing, it, it'll add a little more myelinated tissue around it, which makes it better at transmitting signals, uh, makes it easier to fire an action potential at neuron. You do that 10,000 times and this thing's like super sensitive. It's like having a, you know, a five ounce trigger. Mm -hmm. It'll just fire on its own. So, we, so when you're doing that, it's, 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 they, they call it, uh, one, the best way that I can relate this to everybody is called the cocktail effect. This is a, a well, well-known thing in, in perceptual psychology. Uh, if you're in a room with a cocktail party and there's a hundred people in the room and they're all having conversations. Uh, it just, it's white noise in the background to you. But if one person says your name in the crowd, mm -hmm. your brain will select that automatically without you even listening for it because it's got the pop-out effect. It's, it's because you've heard your name so often mm -hmm. that anytime your brain hears it, your brain automatically selects it. And you can do the same thing with observation. If you, if there are particular things that you know, like human beings, uh, you know, especially in rural environments where you're looking for, you know, any person is potentially a threat in an urban environment or animals. If you're a hunter, the, the more experiences you have, you'll, you'll eventually reach the point where it, it reaches this automated pop-out effect, which means that if you, even if you're distracted and your brain's not thinking about it or whatever, you're not primed appropriately and it happens, your brain will still select it, pick it out. So one of the things we've kind of moved to Owen is telling our students that muscle memory is really not a thing, right? It's, it's, we're building neural pathways or reinforcing neural pathways because muscles and appendages and, and like our meat suit, right? This is all it is, yeah. right? It's, it's a meat suit. It just does what it's told. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's not like, um, it's, yeah, it's not muscles. It's no, you've got a region of your brain that specifically sends those commands, that muscle. That's where you're building what people call, what people call, muscle memory is really somatic memory. It's just long in your brain, long-term memory related to physical motion, physical movements. There's a, an entire region of your brain that uh, is dedicated just to that. And somatic, somatic memory is dedicated specifically to movements. Yep. Movement. Somatic, you know, somatic is the movement of the body. And I'm hitting the, I'm hitting our next class with some, with some words, <laughs> Shit, <son. laughs> with some fire, man. That's this is awesome. Owen, dude, I am, I am eating this up. I, you know, and not only from obviously as a shooter, but more importantly, as a, as a, now a communicator information, I, I would say, you know, one of the things I get asked all the time is like, well, as an instructor, what are you always, what are you constantly working on? Uh, for me, it's not only obviously refining my craft as a shooter, but more importantly, um, uh, refining how I communicate information about what we do, you know, yeah. to certain levels. And, and, and I mean, you've broken this down so well, um, in terms of just like, you 
using just, I mean, common, common, like using things like starving your brain. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Just breaking it down to the lowest level. I think it's, I think it's great. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to have to listen to this twice. Um, <laughs> well, I surely will. Hell yeah. This is good stuff, man. Um, th- this is, it's all, it's, it's interesting because we, let's see, you are like, you do this, you witness this, like going from region to region as a hunter, right? So you go to different places and you're trying to look for different target indicators. You're, well, you're looking for the same target indicators, but like you, you, you have to quote unquote learn it. But reality is, is that's, we, this is what we are doing. We just didn't know exactly how we were doing it. Right. Yeah. That, that's what was happening. Yeah. I'd say, I'd, that's, that's the important thing is I, I don't want to, I don't like to present, although it's a lot of this is uh, interesting to me scientifically just to learn this stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how human beings are doing these things just naturally on their own. It's great mm-hmm. that we can come up with a, you know, some scientific name for it and that maybe we can understand what's happening inside the brain, but that's, uh, knowing that isn't necessarily going to make you better at doing it. It's the application of these concepts. It's how you train for it, you know, and, and those sorts of things. That's what makes you better. Like you mm-hmm. said, there, we've been, we've been shooting targets at long distance for, you know, decades uh, without the, the deeper knowledge of, of all this yep. stuff. Mm-hmm. So Matter I guess maybe, fact. maybe, maybe there's just a few, a few little things that uh, understanding some of the science can help maybe, refine the training aspect a little bit for sure yes for sure because that's the more the more educated you're the more educated the teachers are obviously the the better product they're going to be able to pass on or the better product they're going to be able to create um it's philip and i the last podcast we had we talked about um you know how uh milling targets um and still maintaining such an emphasis on milling targets is silly it's yeah. ridiculous. And, and that is all, I mean, that's obviously, that's totally connected to vision too, because you're interpreting, you're visually interpreting the reticle and the target both at the same time. Yeah. Um, and just because we've done it that way, just because we've done it that way um, and all three of us succeeded and hundreds more be before us and hundreds more to come after us are going to continue to succeed. But that doesn't mean that it's the best way right? It doesn't mean that we're producing the best sniper that we can in the time that we're allotted. So, yeah. you know, it's the stuff always needs to be relooked at. And, and honestly, I would love to see some more emphasis on the observation aspect of things, even for, for hunting, you know, teaching people how to be good observers. Like I would love to be able to, to, to set up massive, realistic, long-range observation exercises for people to come out and participate in because, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that the, uh, and, and you said long-range uh, observation exercises, that's such a key thing. If you look back at the way we used to do observation where everything was close. Yeah, miniature objects. Miniature objects 50 meters and in. And you're hitting some of the wickets, like for example, you know, if, if we have like a, a miniature AK-47 or something that we want to be able to identify, place it out there in the grass. Well, it's great because I mean, you are getting the outline and the color if it's if it's a good little model miniature. But there's another aspect that they've discovered of observation, which is the scene they call it. 
the, the environment. And the brain takes a lot of its cues off of its a more general assessment of the environment first. And then it starts to use that general understanding of environment to start to think about where things should be in that environment. Uh, so, and, and one of the things that affects is called size constancy. So if I were on a real patrol, uh, I would not expect to see a tiny AK 20 meters from me in the grass. Um, right. I would expect to see an AK 47 farther away and maybe peeking up from behind some cover a tree or a wall or a window or, right. or something like that. So when we train people to observe and recognize object, it's also important to place those objects in a place where they would naturally probably be. Sure. And, and at the profile. So for example, I used to do this at combat hunter is I would hold up an AK 40. We do our first observation. I would have one AK 47 sideways, which is what everybody thinks about with a nice banana clip and mm -hmm. all these things. And then some distance, you know, 20, 30 feet away from it, I have another AK pointed directly at them. And so now they're looking at it from the, down the muzzle, mm -hmm. which the outline, everything is very different, much smaller. And almost every student would miss it. I mean, and it's, it's a shock to take uh, experienced Marines, infantrymen, snipers, and they're laying there for 30 minutes, looking at a very narrow area for 30 minutes with binoculars and there can be an AK 47 20 meters away from it pointed directly at them and they didn't see it. All right. That's because, not what they're looking for. Because yeah, because they're primary feeling, but like I said, when we, when we, if we don't, like you said, when you, when you do observations, if you want to get better at seeing animals or certain threats, you've got to put it out where it would be realistic, realistic distance. So like I said, the full back to the forward observer thing, if we had put forward observers out there in our training, instead of simulating them, actually put a person out there at, at, at a distance where a forward observer would be and say, find the forward observer. Right. If we had done that in training, I would have already created the memory of, oh, I'm looking for a little black dot. Right. It's yeah. I, honestly what I would have loved to have seen and looking back on it now, if, um, if I were, you know, king of the castle for a class, I, I would have every single, every single student, every single pig that got busted on the stock lane. He's sorry, dude, you're, you're sitting there with glass and you're going to be looking too. you're not going to say shit, yep. but you're going to be using your glass and you're going to be learning because that's how you're going to see what it is that you're doing. That's how you're going to yep. see what you're, you know, you're going to witness your fellow students, the mistakes that they make, and you're going to see the target indicators that we see. And it's going to give you a completely different perspective of what it is that you're doing. Yeah. Um, and that I think that would be hugely beneficial and, and obviously would probably increase people's uh, capacity to stock as long as they understood the, the foundation, you know, the fundamental principles of it, uh, movement and all those things. But I think from a pure observation standpoint, like um, the first time I really truly witnessed that the effectiveness of a ghillie suit was doing sniper on sniper stocks in a training environment in Quantico. Um, at the advanced course, right? You're doing like this, yeah. the game, the half the class is split and you're doing the capture the flag thing, right? And, you know, you're on that at one end of the, that big, giant, huge open field that's 1,200 meters long. And you'll see somebody move and it looks, literally looks like the predator, right? You'll see like yeah. this blob of, of something all just move. And then when he stops moving, it literally disappears. Like you can't see it. 
Yeah. And even with a small amount of vegetation in it. So in a really well vegetated ghillie suit, like, sorry, man, like you're not going to see that person. Right. Not going to see me 500 meters away. You're literally not going to. Yeah. Um, if I'm utilizing the proper camouflage, the proper movement, as well as, you know, keeping a barrier in between me and the observer, sorry, man, like just not happening. Unless you know, unless you know what I know and you know what to look for and you, your, your brain is primed. I guess I'm going to start using that language. Now your brain is primed for what to look for with a ghillie suit or, or somebody that's, you know, in a camouflaged or concealed position. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I think hands down the best observation training I had in my military career that was, that I actually saw the results of in combat was observing stock lanes as an instructor. Yeah, a sniper instructor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I love, that's one of the things that I love about hunting out West here is that just the amount of time we just get to sit in glass. You just sit in glass. I mean, my, the first, um, I, out here out west it's a really big thing to go pick up shed shed antlers right so antlers that, f that fall off undulates every year um people go out and pick them up uh they're, they're they have they have uh, monetary value to them as as well as like you know uh, the sentimental value of of kind of seeing the the animals in your area as they migrate and grow um and so when I first uh, went on trips out here my same guy my buddy Luke he would he glass he glassed for him he would just sit up on top of a ridge and he would just glass these ridges that are, you know, 2000 yards away. And he can see, he could see the sheds 2000 meters away, you know, sitting on these hillsides. And I was frustrated, man, because I couldn't see them. I didn't literally, I didn't know what I was, my brain was not properly primed. Like I knew what a fucking yeah. antler was. Right. And I've got my baseline established, but until he was able to precisely walk me in on one, and I could, my brain was now programmed to see what it was that came out so much easier, right? You could spit, you start yeah. up, but it's like you had to be taught, your brain had to be taught what to look for. And uh, you're saying that that now is, that's a, that's now been programmed as a long-term memory, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. And, you know, it was something as simple as if you can't get out there in a realistic environment, I mean, if you have nothing more than looking at pictures. Sure. Uh, but pictures of, of an animal a distance away mm -hmm. where you've really got to look at the picture and it just, it makes your brain process it that way. So you're getting uh, at least a sense of the size based on the surroundings and, and the sorts of things, you know, or videos. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, watching videos uh, and looking at pictures can be, just as good as experiencing it in reality in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah, that's a great, and now with the, with like digiscoping capabilities now being able to put, shit, I can take 4k footage through a friggin' spotting scope now, right? Or I can take 4k footage through a rifle scope with the trigger cam. Um, yeah. That's such, such tremendous, tremendous impact on training value. I mean, honestly, like every single sniper school should have, a half a dozen trigger cams sitting there ready and waiting for an instructor to, to use them when they need them. And every single course should have, you know, phone scopes available for spotting scopes. So that way instructors can, can capture the footage and show, Hey, this is what you need to be looking for. These are the points in this particular site picture. You can go frame by frame by frame and pick up that second site picture and say, this is where you need to be. This is where your focus should be. 
and you can create a far more proficient or efficient shooter these days because of that technological advancement. <clears throat> I had a, a situation, this is back in Iraq. Uh, of course, back then we, we had the, the duplex reticles with four, four mil dots on a side. We didn't have any of the Christmas tree sort of uh, reticle patterns back then. And we ended up, uh, because of that, when I went through sniper school and all the training I had done, we always essentially ended up aiming with the center crosshair on all of our targets. We talk about this all the time. <laughs> and uh, I ended up in a situation where we had a, probably a dozen or so bad guys, all they were spread out between 300 meters to 700 meters about within that bracket. And they're all running around and they knew where me and my partner were because we had already shot somebody. So they, they had a, general idea of our location and so they you know these these dozen guys or so are all finding their own cover and then shooting at rpgs ak-47s and there's just two of us and we're so we're shooting these guys uh and the whole thing ended up lasting maybe a minute and the whole time i don't remember looking at my reticle pattern once right because course my adrenaline was through the roof all my brain would think about is who's the person that's trying to kill me right now who's the one that's actually aiming at me and so i'm scanning around and the, as soon as i saw someone aiming in my general direction i'd shoot at them and then i was off i didn't even look at follow <clears throat> i'm looking for the next threat because there's right. a dozen of them out there and i hit several of the guys uh that i shot at and my partner is doing kind of the same thing but if you had told me in the middle of that, stop and focus on your reticle pattern, there's no way. Mm -hmm. There's no way my brain would have allowed me to do it. Uh, and that, uh, me personally, that's why I think there's got to be uh, some sort of give and take in, a, in training when it comes to a lot of these complicated reticle patterns where people are holding off You've got to count, you know, count down this many lines and over that many lines. And, and there's all these similar looking black lines in there. And I've got to pick one out out of all that is you put that in a situation where I've, I've got no, I, I guess, rehearsed memory of, of a specific aiming point that I can go back to because it's always different. Can I ask you a question? I, I, I'm glad that you brought this up because, um, if we're talking about priming the brain or talking about programming the brain, what to look for, and then relying on the fact that the, that the subconscious mind is doing the vast majority of the, of the work that we needed to do to, to execute these tasks and, 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 and skills. Do you think that like, let's just say you were a Padawan, right? That's the only radical pattern that you have ever seen in your entire life. And like, you just showed up and somebody handed you that scope and said, this is it, bro. If, and that's all you did and they and you were forced to do nothing but shoot with holds do you think it would hold up uh, so i think there need to be some changes and i say that because you've, the first thing you have to overcome is that in a, in a in an environment where the thing you're trying to shoot is also trying to shoot you mm -hmm. right so the the threat is mutual between the two of you mm -hmm. you, you you're going to have a sympathetic nervous system reaction you're your sympathetic nervous system is going to dictate to your brain, 
to want to focus on this threat, Mm -hmm. on the threat, the thing that's trying to kill you that you can see in your scope to override your sympathetic nervous system and say, I'm not going to look at that threat and I'm going to look at my reticle is, uh, I don't, uh, that's a very difficult thing to ask. Um, but let's say you could do that. One way around that would be instead of holding in mills, hold on the body. Yes. If you're looking at the person anyway, I'm going to hold the head. I'm going to hold the groin. I'm going to hold whatever. Some sort of major feature. Yeah. Because if you, if you know, when your adrenaline's going, you're going to be, your brain's going to almost force you to look at the target anyway, then pick a place on the target, you know, as far as max point blank and holds and those sorts mm-hmm. of things, look at the target. You're going to be doing that anyway. And then if, if you want to, cause you're not always in those dire situations, there's plenty of times where you, you can pick an aiming point and mills or whatever, but you also have this other problem. It's called, they call them the gestalt principles, gestalt psychology, which is, the brain has certain things it automatically does when it processes the environment. One of them is called grouping. So similar objects that have similar features, shape, size, color, the more similar they are and the closer they are in proximity to each other, the brain wants to essentially classify them all as one thing rather than pick out one of them. And this is an automated part of your percept- visual perception. You can't. Um, I mean, you can override it through frontal cortex activity and conscious thought and that sort of thing, but your brain will always default to that, which is, this is one of the shortfalls I see of these complicated reticle patterns where the, all the holds, the small lines, the mill holds in there are all the same, generally the same sizes, the same colors, the same thicknesses. Um, It's like lining up you know, it's like, where's Waldo, but everyone's Waldo. Right. And then yeah. find one Waldo out of the mix. And, hold and there. you know, yeah. And you can do that with a lot of thought and intention, but start throwing up the adrenaline and that becomes harder and let your attention go for just a second and you're going to hold the wrong spot. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm never going to say you can't do something or it can't be done. But I'm just saying it's going to take a lot of work. You, you, would, you would certainly have to have an insane number of experiences holding different things to create as much automation as you can so that when your frontal cortex shuts down and when your drilling goes, you have the ability to rely on your automatic reflexes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I've never, I haven't achieved that uh, with the more complicated reticle patterns, but then again, I've never found myself in uh, that dire of a situation with them. It's right. always been in more calm yeah. environments. Yeah, and like honestly, like the the latter the latter part of my deployment is where I experienced the same kind of experience that you guys had during the invasion in two thousand three. Right, the mm-hmm. just the the wild west in an urban environment type situation where it's just like, hey. Sh- shoot everything right there was that didn't occur until later on so i had i had limited uh, experiences with that but the experiences that i did have are exactly exactly similar to what you're stating i i can remember the exact same things that you're talking about only being able to to see only being able to see um dark spots 
only being able to see the center of the reticle and not much more beyond like a mill outside of it. It's just like this, like this little zone. Um, and you called that, you called that, um, foveal vision. Is that correct? Yep. yep. Foveal vision. So that, that, I mean, obviously like I, I totally, I experienced that and, um, you do, you, you have visual exclusion, right? you you only are focused, your brain only allows you to focus on what it, what it determines to be necessary for that particular instant. Well, that's, that's a, maybe a, maybe a whole, it's worthy of a whole separate uh, discussion is the sympathetic nervous system and what happens in your body and brain. I would love that to have that discussion, that. dude. Yes. Uh, this definitely needs to be a part two. Cause I mean, I think we prepped it with the last episode, but like you almost just, cause I'm sure sometimes people are fucking sick of hearing us talk about like, you know, we, we, I, I think we express um, our discontent for some radicals out there, right. In terms of the over, overcomplication and understanding that like, like, yeah, when there's a real threat, like there's, there's nothing wrong with dialing and holding the center of your radical mm-hmm. because yeah. that's ultimately what you're it, because you're training like unless you are literally, like you were saying, unless you're literally training in gunfights where someone's shooting back at you and you're holding all the time, like right. that is the only way to really program your brain to do that, right? Because yeah, holding a still stress target, inoculation. Exactly. Holding a, a, a still target, you know, um, uh, that is, and, and all you're doing is using your reticle. Yeah, there's no, there's the only thing that you're focused on is obviously your reticle. But now when that threat is shooting back at you, right, there's a whole nother, right, you know, yeah. aspect or there's involved. other, or there's other elements, you know, you're dealing with indirect fire, you're dealing yeah. with, you know, outgoing direct fire and all the, it's just the maelstrom, right? It's a maelstrom in your mind. Um, and to be able to focus, um, and that's the other thing, like my, most of my engagements in, in an urban environment were no more than 500 meters. Yes. You're in range of their, their stuff too. Of course. Yeah. So it's like, if I'm exposing myself to, to engage a target, um, I'm being exposed. Right. And I have the, I have, uh, and because not all the time you're shooting from, you know, a hole in the wall when you're in direct support of the infantry and you're moving in the attack, you do what you got to do to make, make things happen. Yeah. So, um, and in 500, 500 meters and in is like, you know, the first time you witness that distance, you're like, that's still pretty fucking close, bro. Like, yeah, I don't like you being that close to me. So yeah, yeah, this, the visual processing of the sight picture stuff is super huge, especially, um, learning what we've learned now with different, um, with modern marksmanship mechanics, I guess you'd call them. That's what we refer to them as and learning how to run our guns differently than what we were taught how to run our guns. And it makes just an absolute world of difference in your ability to visually process the information that you need to um, make corrections on your own and be truly an independent, an independent shooter as an effective independent shooter. I've even had ideas. uh, Unfortunately, I'm not a scope manufacturer or reticle manufacturer, but there's plenty of literature on the on different colors and how well the brain recognize, for example, red is the brain recognizes red faster than any other color. Mm-hmm. Uh, things, things of that nature. You, you could theoretically take these complicated reticle patterns and instead of having them all similar black lines or whatever, 
change features of them, change the colors. So on one side, you have a sequence of colors to the right, a sequence of colors down. And so if you, if you had individual different colors on the right side of your reticle pattern, say, then I could just tell you, hold right blue. There's only one blue on the right. You know where to go. You know where to hold. I'm not, right. the gestalt principles aren't fighting against you there. They're helping you. You know, you're, what, you're, what was the name of those principles again? I'm sorry. Uh, gestalt. I think it's G-E-S-T-A-L-T. It's a, just a group of psychologists think, in Germany and Hungary back in the day that studied perception and kind of gathered all these basic things the brain does when it's visually processing. Got it. I'm going to look that up. I'm, I'm hundred percent in agreement with you, man. hundred <clears throat> percent because it's, it's a, when you've experienced those things and you truly understand like, yo, this is, this is what you're going to do. This is what you think you're going to do. I'm going to tell you like, I get what you think you're going to do, but this is really what you're going to do yeah. when you get into these situations. Um, you, you talk to really proficient shooters as well. Like, um, I bet you if we, you know, we talked to Duffy, um, shooting red dot pistols, right? He's not seeing the dot. He's not seeing that, like he cannot remember seeing the dot, but the bullets hit the center of the plates every single time. And, you know, even with a carbine, you know, doing, red, you know, shooting, shooting carbines with red dots up close and, and things, you just don't remember seeing it, but you hit everything that you point at. Is he frozen? I think he's frozen. Oh no. Oh no. This is, this is one of those that, um, this is neat. It needs like a dash two slash series slash. I, I think it's I would series. love, I would love to bring Owen into classes like advanced level classes, right. As a guest instructor to talk. I mean, that's really the next level for um, some of our students, right. It's like, yep. is, is these kind of, this kind of, and then Once, immediately throw in a, uh, a practical application um, to it. It's, it's the, the, the funny thing, right. With awareness in the sense that like, once you, once now this stuff is in your awareness, you can't not think about it. You, you know, you can't not, um, try to apply it. So just having a, a teacher stand in front of you and communicate this information and it just, you go, Oh, okay, well, there's, there's definitely something there that I need to be paying attention to. And then it's just gonna, the next time you see a sight picture, it's going to be, you're going to look at it through a different lens, right? You're going to look at it through a different lens and you're going to be able to extract hopefully more information from it. That's going to be more actionable and help you become a, a more efficient shooter. Oh, and we oh, were just talking about how, uh, we just you gave know, you a job. Yeah. For like, we would love to, to have you come in, not only guest instruct, you know, be on line with this, but like, we would fit in time in our curriculum to, to, to just go over exactly sure. what you went over. For sure. Do you know who Cody, do you know who Cody Carroll is? I don't think so. Okay. He's a, uh, he's, he just retired not too long ago. Um, he was a, a, a reserve force, uh, force reconnaissance platoon commander out of Alabama. Um, and he is, he's like, a he's a, he's a sniper um, on the, on the army side of the house from basically he went through mask. Um, okay. way back in the day. Was like, he, was he part started. of the rifleman summit? Was he in the rifleman yeah. summit doing yeah, some yeah, interviews? Cody. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I do. I do remember him from that. Yeah. You two, you two teamed up, man, would be like the ultimate, the ultimate field skill, psychological weapon, fucking Rambo. <laughs> well, now I really got to meet him. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, he's actually, he's doing, um, he works for uh, TTOS, Tactical Tracking Operations School. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's, he's out. a tracker he's, as well. Yeah, he's a tracker. Um, and he's, uh, he's out running a contract right now in Hawaii. So um, I think we should get, you get definitely get you, get you two guys together. Oh, Did you yeah, see his can. recent post <laughs> in the in the jungle with like fucking Rambo. Letting, letting loose, he was like 19, in Rambo yeah, attire. Nineteen ninety seven called and wants their tribal tattoos back. <laughs> but he's shoot, he's he's shooting a saw, unloading a belt of ammunition in a jungle with a saw, and it's totally it's a Cody moment. It's a Cody moment. Well, I mean, him have to get some dirt time then. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, tra- I haven't been tracking in quite some time now. Yeah, that would be cool to it. offer. That would be cool to offer tracking courses. That would be super cool. Um, oh, and this has been this has been badass, man. Dude. I mean, oh. honestly, I I have like a page and a half of notes here, and I'm I can't wait to to have you on again as a as a guest because this is fantastic information. It's relevant information. It's information that needs to be discussed and should be discussed. And hopefully we have some, hopefully we have some people in higher level leadership positions that are, that are listening to this stuff that can, that can make actionable change to curriculum and just different, different thought processes with regard to training. For those of you guys who are getting ready to go out uh, hunting this season, uh, this episode is obviously going to be probably played on repeat uh, in your, in your pickup trucks or you guys are driving but this is this is the stuff that's going to help you um, see more animals. It's going to help you become more aware. And the cool thing about awareness, uh, Owen, is like once you are made aware of something, you can't unsee it. You can't right. not. It, it's now in your awareness. So unless you're completely closed-minded, at which point in time it won't be in your awareness anyways because you didn't let it in. Yeah. So. Man, I thought that was awesome, dude. Thank you for your time, Owen. Very cool. Oh, thank you again for having me on. It was great to talk to you guys. Yeah, I saw that uh, you were doing some work with with um, with Ambrosia. Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he's out uh, with his company, International Mountain Survival, and he has been doing some training out at Branded Rock Canyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's mostly it's all hunting based. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he does precision uh, rifle mainly for, for hunting and then sort of primitive survival stuff. Uh, whatever the clients basically want, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a luxury ranch out there, but it's some of the most amazing shooting out there. I mean, you're talking like thousand meter high angle, significant angle How? shots out there and everything. Brandon Rock Canyon is pretty close to Grand Junction, is it not? Yep. It's not too far away from Grand Junction. We just yeah. we just shot in the same country. We shot down at uh, the Cameo facility um, in August, the beginning of August. So I know I know that giant canyon country down there. It's really impressive to shoot in. Yeah, so it's an absolutely amazing facility they have out there. But he's uh, he's busy. He's he takes off here in the next couple months for for something that I'm not allowed to talk about for now. Uh, but he will be, he'll be back. Uh, later in the year, um, but definitely we need to start uh, mixing things up with each other and and sure and spreading our our knowledge around because yeah, there's there's a dire need for a lot of this stuff for a lot yeah. of people. We're down. We're always we're always down to party with the knowledge bombs, dude. For sure, for sure. Um, 
Well, Owen, let's, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up, man. And, and we'll, we're going to connect and figure out when to have you on again and, and what kind of frequency uh, you'd like to, you'd like to come on board because I know for, I'm fairly certain that you'd be able to have a great conversation at least once a month, you think? Oh, easy. Yeah. Yeah. That would be how awesome. often do you, how often do you guys normally, are, you're, are you done recording right now, by the way? No, no, no we're, we're still, still, we're still live. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so no, that's fine. I'll, I'll, we, 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 nah, man, we're super open with our, with our, our listeners, man. We're just people, right? So, so everybody knows that we get busy and, um, we try to do our best to have an episode a week. Um, sometimes it's, you know, every other week, depending on our travel schedule and stuff. But, um, you know, uh, I would love to be able to, to say we're going to get better at being more consistent. I would love to. And that's part of, that's the goal ultimately is, uh, is to have a consistent weekly podcast. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, most weeks I'm, I'm available. So whenever you think I have something to offer, give me a shout. Fantastic. Just con- conversations, man, are, are more than enough to offer. That's, that's what this is all about. Yeah. I really enjoyed, uh, just on second thought, um, we're coming up on a whole year for guys that are listening with, since we did the modern day rifleman virtual summit. And, um, you know, for those that or listening maybe for the first time or just jumped on a podcast uh, that, that we have like what, 25, 26 interviews there. Yeah. There's like over 30 hours of content um, that uh, you can purchase. And uh, one of my favorite episodes is actually you and Kalen talking about point mass solvers. And uh, oh, yeah. after I listened to yours, I went back because a big, I would say a big hit for our, uh, our, that, that actual summit was, um, Jaden followed by uh, optics with uh, Michael Bachelier, and then I would say yours. But then I I would tell people if if they're new to ballistics, they should listen to yours first before listening to Jaden's because Jaden yeah. was able to obviously speak a little bit on 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 like um, the Ford off and 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 um, uh, radar uh, radar derived curves where you were actually talking about point mass solvers where a lot of people are still in the long range world, especially if they've like been shooting in the transition where we started using G7 and G1 ballistic coefficients, they're still, you know, clinging on to the truing as we call it. Right. Um, and, uh, I think you said it best is like, you are telling the computer, you're lying to the computer to, to make it, to make the information right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, it, it is, I, I don't know how many years I spent uh, using words in related to ballistics that I didn't even really know what they meant and, or, or, or at least that where they originated from. So I think sometimes it just helps to bring it back to the, the not assume people know all this stuff. Cause sure. I know there's a lot of people out there that use a lot of terminology and they don't know where it comes from and Sometimes they can just get lost in, in all the, all the verbiage and all the madness. Yeah, for sure, man. Oh, and this has been a blast, dude. This has been a blast and a two hour um, episode, two hour episode. Yeah. yeah, man. I love it. Fantastic. So thanks for being here, dude. Thank you for your time. Very much appreciated. And as always love connecting with you and love having conversations. It's a, always a great blast from the past. And it's, it's literally crazy to know that, that it's been like 20 years. So yeah. that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey so. guys, uh, again, uh, Owen, we appreciate you being here. Um, for everyone else that's listening in, 
thanks for thanks for taking time. Let us know what you guys think about this episode in the comments. Um, especially, I'd, I'd I'd even love to um, uh, start a group in the um, modern day rifleman network observations and or fieldcraft or something like Psychology. that. You know, uh, especially to. Uh, for those that listen in to have a deeper dive, because that's where the kind of uh, topics get started. And uh, let us know what you guys think. And um, I mean, if that's it, you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Right on, man. Till next time. <laughs>